I'm uh, Pastor Michael, and um, I'm uh, battling a, a flu, I think, and so I feel um, a little bit under the weather, so I, I want to apologize. We are doing a sermon series in the Gospel of John, and uh, we've been looking at the farewell discourse, which is um, a set of teachings that Jesus gives to his disciples before he departs from them and he goes to the cross. And so these are his final instructions, his final teachings. And today we're going to look at John chapter 15, which is one of the most famous, one of the most beloved passages in the Bible, I think for good reason. And so if you could turn to page 4 in the bulletin, I will read to you chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus teaches, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of God. So, in the passage, Jesus is talking about the power of a transformed life. The power for a transformed life. And when you have this power, this spiritual power, it will produce in you a big life. A fruitful life. A life full of meaning and purpose. 
And so where does this life come from? And Jesus says, listen, because he's giving us the secret of spiritual vitality and power. And the secret lies in this um, imagery of botanical, biological growth. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's talking about organic life. He's talking about plant life. It's really an incredible, powerful metaphor. Last year, my family and I, we visited Yosemite together for the first time. And uh, it was really a wonderful trip. And we uh, hiked on this trail that leads up to Vernal Falls. Really beautiful trail. And if you know anything about Yosemite, you know that all along the trails are these enormous um, stone edifices, these just gigantic granite rock formations, right? These enormous uh, granite boulders all along the trail. And as you walk along the trail, you will see trees. These are full-grown pine trees, redwood trees, growing up out of the rock, the roots stretching out and breaking the rocks apart. And what must have happened is that a long time ago, a little pine cone seed must have fallen into the crevice of a rock where there was just a little bit of soil. And then nourished by the sun and nourished by the moisture in the soil, this little tree sapling grew and grew, the roots sinking down deep until it became this great big tree, the roots of which split the rock apart. It's really incredible. Because here you have these two things. You have this enormous granite rock weighing hundreds, maybe thousands of tons. And then you have this little pine cone seed. And between the two of them, which one is going to win? Which one will prevail? And the answer, of course, is the seed. Because the rock is inanimate. The rock is inert. But inside the seed is life. Biological life. This unstoppable life force. This ever-replenishing, ever-renewing life energy. And the Christian life is like that. Jesus tells his disciples, I have appointed you that you you should go And bear fruit. He's saying if you follow him, you will be like this little tree sapling. And inside of you is this enormous life potential. And our mission is to to bear fruit. What is this fruit? The fruit is spiritual vitality. The fruit is (coughs) spiritual power and productivity. It's a life of usefulness in the kingdom of God. A life of, full of joy and obedience and holiness and love. So how do we get there? I have three points. Here's my outline. Number one, we're going to look at what it means to abide in the vine. Number two, we're going to look at the pruning of the vine dresser. And then number three, we're going to look at this warning of the fruitless branches that will be thrown into the fire, okay? So number one, 
It's something that we must do. Number two, something we must receive. And then number three, the warning we must heed. So let's begin. Number one, we are to abide in the vine. What does this word abide mean? It's the Greek word meno. Meno is a difficult Greek word to translate. There really isn't a single English equivalent. Um, In our translation, the ESV, it's rendered abide, which is an older English word. We don't really uh, see it anymore. To abide means to dwell. It means to uh, live with someone. It means sharing a life together. In other translations, like the NIV, Mino is translated remain, and the idea there is to stay in a place, to continue to be attached. And Mino has all of those shades of meaning. It means to abide, it means to continue, it means to be connected. And so what does it mean that the branches are to abide in the vine? Think about the relationship. The branches are connected to the vine. And through that connection, they're drawing nutrients. They're drawing moisture from the vine. And the branch is sustained through this life-giving, vital connection to the vine. And in fact, it is so vital, Jesus says, that the branch cannot live without the vine. Or to use a human metaphor, think about a newborn baby nursing on her mother. The baby is totally dependent on her mother for her life. If you have ever seen it, if you've ever seen it, it's a really powerful thing. The baby is clinging to her mother for her life. That's what Jesus means to abide. Now listen to me. Jesus is telling us something, I think, very profound. He's saying the only way that you will bear fruit in your life is you have to be completely dependent on me. You have to cling to me the way the branches cling to the vine, the way a baby clings to her mother. You see, here's the question. Why is it that so many of you in this room Why is it that so many of you are spiritually dry? Why is it that for so many of you, your Christian life is joyless and powerless? And the question you have to be asking yourself is, what are you looking to for life? What are you drawing upon for life? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it his glory? his majesty, his beauty, or is it something else? Is it your dating life? Is it your career? Is it your hobbies, right? Is that what gets your juices flowing? Is it sports? Is it watching YouTube or Netflix, right? Is that what gets you up in the morning? Is it your finances? What is it that your daydreams are made of? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he says something I think that is really stark. He says, there is no life apart from me. There is no life apart from me. So that if you turn to anything else, if you try to suck life 
out of anything else because there is no life in it, because it is a dead thing, because there is no nutrients in it, imagine a baby trying to nurse on a cadaver, on a dead body. What will happen to that baby? The baby will become sick and die. So many of you, and I'm sorry to be so graphic, you're like a baby nursing on a dead corpse. And you're sucking, and you're sucking. But there's no nutrients there. There's no life. And so you're dying. Jesus says, there is no life apart from me. Are you abiding in him? Is he your daily bread? Is he your living water? There's another way to think about what it means to abide. Jesus gives us another image. In verse 9, he says, abide in my love. He says, abide in my love. What does that mean? In verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And so to abide in Jesus is like the communion of friends. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I have to say that in the modern world, we really have lost what friendship means. Because in the modern economy, what matters is ambition and mobility. And therefore, as a result, relationships have really become transitory and disposable. There has never been an age like ours where friendships have been hollowed out and thinned out. The statistic that I always like to cite is that in the 1950s, they asked people, how many close friends do you have? The average answer was five. By the 1980s, that number had dropped to three. And right now, the most common answer is zero. There has never been an age like ours. We live in a deeply lonely culture with this rising epidemic of addictions, suicide, and depression, what sociologists call diseases of despair because we're so disconnected, we're so lonely. But in the ancient world, you need to understand that friendships were highly treasured and deeply meaningful. And because you lived in one place your entire life, it's hard for us to imagine this. You lived in one village. You lived in one town your entire life. And so the friendships that you made, these friendships lasted an entire lifetime all through the, through the decades of your life. And I think we would be surprised at the intensity and the loyalty of friendships in the ancient world. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You see, the Bible has a high view of the place and value of friendship in the Christian life. And uh, this is a little bit of a side note. But this is an important part of the vision of our church. The vision of our church is to follow Jesus and to help others to follow Jesus. That second part, to help others to follow Jesus, is about friendships. 
That's how you do it. That's how you disciple people. And so part of the vision of our church is that we want to be a church that stands against this broader cultural stream of disconnection and loneliness. We want to be a a, a church, a place where you can sink down roots, where you could be planted and you can develop intentional Christian relationships that last across decades. And I've said this a couple of times before, but I truly mean it. I am not going anywhere. This is my home. This is where I am called to be. And if you are willing, if you will let me, my intention is either I will bury you or you will bury me. Okay? That's the kind of church that we're trying to build. Now, the best description of friendships that I've ever read is by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. If you've never read The Four Loves, do yourself a favor, read this book. And C.S. Lewis says that the distinguishing feature of friendship is the uselessness of it. It's the unproductiveness of it. Because when friends gather together, they're not accomplishing anything. But if you ask a group of friends who have spent the whole day together, what did you do? Their answer will be nothing. We did nothing. Because what it means to gather together as friends is simply to be together, to enjoy each other's company. And so listen to me. When Jesus says to abide in me, is like the communion of friends. Do you see what Jesus is asking for? Do you, see, you see, do you just go to Jesus and ask him for things that you need in your life? Or do you go to him like a friend? Do you go to him simply to be in his presence? Do you commune with him? And some of you are saying, well, How do I commune with Jesus? And the answer is the way you commune with any friend. You commune with a friend by conversing with them so that there is this free flow of words. And so are you listening to the voice of Jesus speaking to you in Scripture? Are you hearing his voice? This is why Jesus says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in me, in you. And, in, and it is in that context, right, that when Jesus says in verse 7, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, I will give it to you. It's not because he's saying that prayer is like, you know, rubbing a magic lamp and you get whatever you want. But when you are conversing with Jesus, when there is this free flow of communion and friendship, when you're going to him in prayer and you're just simply sharing your thoughts, simply sharing your fears and your desires with him, because of this friendship that you've developed, his, what he loves becomes what you love. And what he hates becomes what you hate. And in that context, whatever you desire, whatever you ask for, it'll be what Jesus desires, and it'll be his, his good pleasure to give it to you. You see, when, real, when, you're, when you have a real friendship with someone, 
time with them is not forced or artificial, but it is unhurried. It is life-giving. It is sweetness to your soul. Do you know the friendship of Christ? Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in his love? Do you spend regular time with him? So that's the first point, abiding in the vine. Second point, the pruning of the vine dresser. So there is a third person in the story, which is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser, his intent is to increase the fruit of the vine. His desire is to see the vineyard flourish. Verse 2. Oh, and he does this by pruning, right? By cutting off the excess plant material. This is what Jesus says in verse 2. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you know anything about gardening, you know that pruning is not a delicate thing. It is not these little cuts and snippets, but pruning is, is a very violent and dramatic thing. And to the untrained eye, it looks like the gardener is attacking the poor plant and trying to kill it. So that all over the ground are these beautiful things that look like they should have never been taken off. And sometimes there are whole sections, whole parts of the branch that have been removed. And when it is done, the vine itself looks terrible. It looks like a massacre. The vine is bleeding in hundreds of places. It has been cut back in all kinds of ways. And it looks like it's never going to survive. It looks like the gardener has just devastated this poor plant. But the good gardener knows exactly what he is doing. He knows exactly how much to cut to make the vine fruitful and beautiful. And under the expert eye of the gardener, not one thing is cut that would, <laughs> would not have been a loss to keep. And not one thing is kept that would have not been a gain to lose. Every cut, every cut is precisely made to bring the plant into its fullness and power and potential. I want you to know that Jesus is saying something really powerful and profound. Because when you look back on your life, you can identify all of these moments and places where you suffered a terrible loss and it grieves your heart still. And you wonder, was it all a waste? Was it it just some tragic loss? But Jesus is telling you it was the vine dresser pruning your life. It was the gardener lovingly removing things in your life And oftentimes, these are good things. These are not bad things. These are good things in your life so that you can come into the full flowering of your potential. You see, pruning is always painful. It is always painful. But in the hands of the loving gardener, it is always for your good. I want to share with you an illustration I've given um, a couple of times before, but I love it so much, I'm going to give it to you one last time. 
One day, a lumberjack went into a grove of trees. And he knew that he was going to cut down every single tree in that grove. And as he walked around and he surveyed the trees, he saw that there was a mother bird building her nest in one of the trees. And he knew that if he left her there, she would die and her chicks would die. So he goes up to the tree and he starts banging on it. He starts shaking the tree uh, violently and screaming and yelling at the mother bird. And the mother bird, she's so shaken by this, right? She's looking down at the lumberjack and she's saying, why are you doing this to me? Why are you tormenting me like this? And so the bird flies to another tree and she begins to build her nest there. The lumberjack knew that that was no good because that tree was also going down. And so he goes to that second tree and again he begins to bang and he begins to cause this huge ruckus And so again, the mother bird flies to another tree and builds her nest there. And again, the lumberjack follows her and shakes the tree and and thunders at the tree until at last the mother bird flies into into um, into a a crack in the wall, into uh, a crack in the cliff, and she builds her nest there. And when the lumberjack sees that the mother bird has built her nest on the side of this cliff, he leaves her alone because he knows at last she's safe. And the point of the story is that every tree in this world is coming down. Every person, every relationship, your family, your career, your health, and your possessions. These are all passing away. And God is going to shake the trees in your life until at last you build your life on the rock who is Jesus Christ. Until at last you abide in the vine so that it becomes the source of your life. Let's look at the third point. The fruitless branches will be thrown into the fire. So the same knife the gardener uses to prune the fruitful branches becomes a sword of judgment to cut off the branches that are fruitless. It's interesting because the same Greek word, which is um, the word that is translated cut, which is the Greek word iro, is also in the Greek word for prune. The Greek word prune is the, is the word kathiro. There's a prefix kath, and kath means to cleanse, to purify. So the same knife that prunes the branches to cleanse them, to purify them, which is why Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because the pruning doesn't make the branches clean. It purifies, it, it further cleanses the branches, also cuts off. Now what does Jesus mean when he says to cut off? Look with me to verse 6. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, just to be clear, we are talking about hell. We are talking about eternal judgment. 
And Jesus is saying, if your life is devoid of spiritual fruit, you will be cut off. You'll be cut off from the vine, the source of life, and you'll be cast into the fire of judgment. Now listen to me. No one spoke more frequently, more forcefully, with more blood-curdling vividness about hell than Jesus. Jesus talked about hell all of the time. It's woven into virtually everything that he taught. In fact, and you can do a survey, almost every single parable that Jesus taught includes the teaching on hell. There's always a servant. There's always somebody that is cast out. Uh, There's always a servant that is sent away from the master. And so what that tells us is that the doctrine of eternal judgment is not some peripheral, strange teaching. It is central, central to Christianity, central to understanding what Jesus came to do. Now, it goes without saying that modern people really dislike this. They really hate this doctrine of hell because it seems to contradict our idea of a God of love. A God of love wouldn't cast people to hell, especially for merely the thought crime of not believing in Jesus. That seems so petty. And what makes it especially galling is the forever nature of it, which means that there is no chance of any remorse, no chance of change, no chance of returning back to God when you're in hell. It seems cruel. It seems barbaric. It seems profoundly unfair. So, in the time that's remaining, I want to try to explain the doctrine of hell. And I want to make two points. I want to show you, number one, it is absolutely fair. It is absolutely fair. And then number two, I want to show you that it proves, not disproves, the love of God. So number one, it is absolutely fair. When you look at this vine metaphor that Jesus is giving us, and when you look at this branch that does not bear fruit, the question is, why does the branch bear fruit? And the answer is that although the branch is superficially attached to the vine, actually there is no real connection to the vine. There's no vital connection. So that although the branch is physically attached to the vine, if you look underneath, the connection is dead. There's no nutrients. There's no moisture flowing to the branches. And when you understand that, it is terrifying. Because what is Jesus talking about? He's saying, there are people who look like they are connected to me. Who is he talking about? He's talking about people in the church. He's talking about members of the church. He's talking about people who serve in the church, sometimes even leaders of the church, but they are spiritually dead. I want you to listen to me because Jesus talks about this all of the time. It's so important. Jesus says that in the church there are the wheat and there are the tares. He says that there are the goats and there are the sheep. 
He says there are faithful servants and there are unfaithful servants serving the master. And Jesus says that on the surface, they look the same because they're both doing the same activities. They're both coming to church. They're both sitting in the worship service, listening to the sermon, singing the songs. But one is alive and one is dead. Now, what makes the branches dead? Why are the branches dead? And the answer, of course, is that the branches are not abiding in the vine. Why are they not abiding in the vine? What is this vine that Jesus is talking about? Notice Jesus calls himself the true vine. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, meaning he's not just any vine, he's not just a vine, but he is the true vine, the real one, meaning there are false vines. There are false substitutes that promise life. But in the end, there are no nutrients, no moisture, and therefore, when you attach to them, when you try to draw life from them, you will die. And then the gardener comes. And he will go through the vineyard. And listen to me. He will cut off the dead branches. And when he cuts off the dead branches, this is key. This is, please listen, this is key to the argument that I'm making. When the vine dresser cuts off the dead branches, he is actualizing a spiritual reality that has already happened. Do you understand? The gardener is not doing anything that isn't already true. Because if the branch is alive, even if it's just a little bit alive, even if there's just a little bit of fruit, the gardener will prune the branch. He will nurse the branch back to health. But to the dead branches, he will cut off. Or think about it this way. Hell is the final destination of a life trajectory that you are already on right now. Hell is the final uh, destination of a journey that you're already walking on in this life. Because do you know what heaven is? Listen to Jesus in John 17, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life. He's giving us what hell, uh, heaven is. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And therefore, if in this life you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, if his presence if his commandments are not a joy to you, if they're not a delight to you, then why would you want to be in his presence? Why would you want to serve him as his servants forever and ever in heaven? God will never impose a spiritual reality on you that in the end, ultimately, you don't give consent to. Hell is never imposed. It is only actualized. Do you understand? The vine dresser cuts off the branches that are dead. Do you see? All right, second point. 
The doctrine of hell shows us the love of God. So people say, I don't believe in a God who sends people to hell. I believe in a God of love. But the question is, how do you know that God loves you? Because if it doesn't cost God anything to love you, then that kind of vague, amorphous love isn't going to impact you. It isn't going to ultimately change you. But the gospel says it costs God everything to love you. So that in Jesus Christ, he endured hell to save you. Otherwise, if there is no hell, it doesn't make any sense why Jesus had to die on the cross. If there was no objective reason for Jesus' death, then the death is meaningless. Suppose one day your friend, your best friend, comes to you and he says, let me show you how much I love you. He pulls out a gun, he shoots himself. Would you say to yourself, oh, how my friend loved me? No, you would say, that was crazy, that was vile. Why would my friend do that? What a tragic waste of life. But imagine instead, you and your friend are on a battlefield. You're soldiers together on a platoon. And the battle is growing thick. And an enemy soldier breaks through the ranks. And with vile hatred towards you, he points his gun and he's about to shoot at you But your friend, he leaps in front of you, he takes the bullet in your place, and he's mortally wounded, and then he dies in your arms. If that happened to you, think about that. If that truly happened to you, imagine being at his memorial service. Imagine seeing his wife, his kids. What would you say? You would say, Oh, my friend, He truly loved me. And you would be forever changed. You would never be the same again. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You see, on the cross, Jesus literally took the bullet of hell and judgment and death for you. You see, Jesus is not only divine, but he is the branch cut off in your place. Isaiah 53, verse 8, it says, He was cut off from the land of living. He was stricken for our transgressions. You see, on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, the Son, who abided in the Father from all of eternity, who perfectly loved the Father, perfectly obeyed His commandments, who had perfect union, on the cross, He was cut off from the love and the fellowship of the Father. He came under the sword of judgment so that for you and I, that same blade becomes in the hands of our loving Father a cleansing cut that removes the sins and the idols of our lives so that our lives may be useful to God, so that we might be fruitful for Him, so that you and I, we might become like mighty oaks growing out of the rock, the roots stretching out this explosive life potential inside of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to heed the warning in your teaching as we examine our hearts and our lives 
We want to make sure that we're abiding in you. We want our lives to bear fruit, pleasing to you, useful in the kingdom of God. Give us spiritual vitality. Renew our hearts. Wake us up from our spiritual slumber. Let us cling to Christ and build our life on him. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.